Um, Father, we pray today that we, we, we want more of you. We do, God. Like that is just not just words, Lord. That is our passion. That is our hope. And I pray today that this lesson, what we learn through the parables, um, teach us ways that we can, we, can, we can receive more of you, but we can also throw seed, man, that we can also tell people about who you are, that we get to be a light. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us into the mission, God. And it's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, which you better, well, if you don't, open your phone, whatever. Open your Bible or your phone to Mark chapter four. We're gonna look at the parables that Mark tells us about in chapter four. Parables, um, Avery talked about it a little bit. They're weird. Anybody? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. I know you, the rest of you didn't raise your hand. You're like, no, I know all about the parables. Well, you're lying in church. That's not cool. Parables are weird. It's hard to understand, right? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to break it apart a little bit. We are gonna talk specifically about why parables. Why did Jesus use them to teach? We're gonna talk about that. Then we're gonna go into the parable, and I called it the parable of the soils. Your Bible probably calls it the parable of the sower. Um, But one commentary I, I read said, you know, it should be called the parable of the sowers because that parable is about the soil. We're gonna talk about that, okay? And so we're gonna talk about that one. That's really the primary parable of our, of our discussion today. Then we're gonna talk about three others that came afterward that kind of reinforced that first one, okay? So why parables? Why parables? I know, um, I remember whenever we first started opening this, like chapter, I mean, verse two, it says it. It says that he was teaching them many things in parables. And we're gonna find, if you, if you studied the gospels at all, you know there's like a whole bunch of them and Jesus does it like all the time. In fact, there are 35 recorded in the gospels, 35 parables that Jesus shares and teaches in the gospel, gospels. He, he, that's like 35% of what he teaches is parables. So what is that about, right? Well, something you can know about parables, that was a common way of teaching in, in, in this Ju- Judaism, in this, in this culture, okay? This is not a new thing. People weren't like all of a sudden like story time. What is this? They would have recognized this is a way that they were taught. In fact, the Pharisees, the dudes with the clipboards we talked about last week, those guys were, were they used parables all the time, but the parables that they taught were teaching about the law of Moses. So they were, you remember I told you they were all about the rules and regulations. And so they were using parables and stories to try to reaffirm the rules. Well, Jesus is like blowing everybody's mind because he is bringing new revelation with his parables. And that's why some of them can be kind of confusing to the listener because they're like, wait, hold on what? And and that's the intention. We'll get to that in a minute. So the actual word parable really means cast alongside, cast like throw, okay? Cast alongside. The reason is because basically what that means is that you're taking something that is true and you're you're bringing something like a teaching aid or an analogy or like an inspired comparison alongside it to kind of reinforce it, okay? So that's what a parable is. There's There's a truth right? There's a main point, a truth that he's getting across by using this story, okay? Only in the gospels do we find parables in the New Testament. Did you know that? There's only, like in the New Testament part of your Bible, the right-hand side after Jesus shows up on the scene, only in the gospels. So only Jesus is using these parables in these gospels. We don't see them later in the letters or any of that other stuff. It's kind of interesting, right? I mentioned before, there's a lot of them in the Old Testament. There's, there's a famous one that you probably, like I was like, oh, let me think about this. And then I remembered, oh, remember if you did Psalms with this, Nathan like got all up in David's face when he was doing the whole Bathsheba thing. Remember he had this whole parable. And so parables were used in the Old Testament. So again, they would have been familiar with them. 
But the interesting thing about parables in, in Jesus, the, the, the gospel parables is this, that they were kingdom focused, kingdom focused. We talked a little bit about the kingdom of God that I think it was that first week, chapter one, verse 15 or something, where he says what? The kingdom of God is what? It's here, it's now. And so a lot of these parables are gonna be reinforcing this truth over and over because they wouldn't quite understand that. They don't know what to do with that. So he's gonna be teaching and showing and you'll see it um, in these parables we look at today. There's a twofold purpose Jesus uses for parables, two things. They're, they seem to be in conflict, but they're not. First, first reason is to reveal the truth to those who are seeking it. That's an important note. The parables, he, he's revealing truth to those who are seeking, okay? But then the other purpose is to conceal the truth. Conceal the truth from those who are indifferent, from those who are rejecting, for those who are vehemently against it, okay? So it seems in conflict, right? Like he's revealing, but he's concealing. We're gonna talk about that, okay? And he's gonna talk about it specifically to his disciples, to us, so that we understand it. So we'll go there in just a few minutes. Twofold, to reveal and conceal, okay. He didn't come to make you feel better. He didn't bring a message about comfort, okay? That's what we're gonna see in these parables. He came to bring truth and to bring freedom for our souls. And that's what he does through the teaching of the parables, okay? Well, I, I, as I was looking through this, I read a lot of smart guys' words about this, a lot of commentaries and theologians and what they say about parables. And something I found, I, th I thought you all might find this interesting too. They have a lot of different um, steps and a, a lot of advice about how to approach parables. And I just narrowed it down to like four things. So like, think about this. When you approach a parable, think about these four steps that'll kind of help you like, like um, filter out all the stuff that you don't need to pay attention to or not get bogged down in some of the details. Okay, so four things we can do when we approach parables. First is this. Look for contextual clues, okay? What I mean by that is sometimes in the introduction, like if, if Jesus is about to make some great point, sometimes in the introduction, you'll kind of see it. You'll kind of see that based on who he's speaking to or based on what he's actually talking about, like right before, it'll tell you, ah, let's look for something he's gonna tell them um, that has to do with that. So look for little clues. Sometimes he gives those, okay? In the introductions, usually. Second thing I would say, and this was a big one for me because I, you guys not know I'm a word geek. And so like, I'm looking at every word, like, what does that mean? What is this, what is the hidden secret meaning behind it? Don't search for deep spiritual meaning behind every detail. Okay, these are stories. So, so what you're gonna look for is like the meat of it. Look for the main point. And then sometimes there's details and parts of it that are really just to make the story interesting. They're not necessarily like some deep spiritual thing, okay? So sometimes I think we over-spiritualize some of these stories when really he's like, no, there's just a real clear point. So look for that. A third thing I would say, I would say to compare scripture with scripture. Doesn't make sense to you compare scripture with scripture. What do I mean by that? I mean that parables are never in conflict with the truth that they illustrate, okay? Jesus is never gonna come out and say something wrong or untrue because he's telling it in a story. John 12, 49, you can jot that one down. Jesus doesn't speak of his own authority. He speaks of the authority from the Father. So every one of these stories is not gonna be in conflict with something that the Bible says. You can rest in that. Sometimes we don't understand and that's okay, but it's never gonna be in conflict. So always look at scripture, compare it to scripture. Sometimes that'll enlighten you a little bit. The fourth thing, and this comes directly from the Jesus mouth, is we need to seek to have ears that hear. 
Seek to have ears that hear. In Mark um, chapter four, you see it a whole bunch of times. He says, um, have ears that hear in verse nine and 23. He also urges us over and over to listen, verse 12, verse 20. So there's like a theme here, guys. In other words, it's like, don't just glaze over what I'm saying. Really, really, really listen. Really, really examine. And that's how we want to approach the parables too, right? Well, let's take a look closer at some of these parables um, that Jesus taught in Mark 4. Remember I mentioned there's four. I think um, in your homework, I think they only refer to three. I think they don't consider the light actually a parable, but I do, so there. So there's that. So there's four. They're all kingdom-focused, okay? I mentioned that the, the, the one, the parable of the soils or of the sower is actually like the primary parable, and there's a reason. We're gonna get there. You can see that, that Mark laid this out. It wasn't just haphazard. He has purpose behind the way he laid it out. So first, we're gonna look at that one, the parable of the soils, and that one is in um, chapter four, starting in verse three. You'll notice in this parable, it's kind of cool. And, and you, you can actually jot this down too. It's also recorded in Mar- Matthew 13. It's also recorded in Luke eight. This whole section here is recorded in those other um, gospels as well. But what's cool about this parable is that Jesus tells us the parable, okay? He gives us the, the gist. And then he like hits the pause button, does this little interlude where he's talking to his dudes. Okay, we're gonna talk about that, what he tells them, what they're wondering about. Okay, so he addresses that. And then he presses unpause and then he explains the parable. I love that because then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So we know exactly what he meant. Well, there's a reason he does that. We're gonna talk about that. So first, the telling. Follow along with me in your Bible. Verse three goes like this. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Okay, that word sower, circle that, underline that, something like that. The sower, in this instance, what we're talking about here is we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about potentially the disciples. We're basically talking about anybody who's sharing the gospel, okay? So anybody that's sharing the good news is the sower in this example, okay? All right, moving on, verse four. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. Okay, I'm pausing you again. As he sowed, underline or circle that. As he sowed. Something we need to understand about how this thing went down in the day, okay? So the way that they sowed in the day is called broadcast sowing. Anybody a farmer in here know about seeds? Oh yeah, look at all the farmers. Okay, um, well, I didn't, I didn't either, so I went and looked some things up. Broadcast sowing basically means you got a big old pile of seeds and what are you doing? Just throwing them out, just throwing them out. You're not like digging precise ditches and have equipment and machinery that, that make these pretty rows. No, man, they're throwing it everywhere, right? Like quantity is all that matters in this moment because they don't know what will take. And so when you see as he sowed, just imagine that. Imagine the seeds just going everywhere, okay? I lost my place. Okay, verse four. <laughs> It happens. All right. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and then the birds came and they devoured it. That's the first kind of seed. I mean, first kind of soil. Maybe there's gonna be four kinds, okay? In verse five, other seed fell on rocky ground. That's the second kind of soil where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up and since it had no depth of soil and then when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Verse seven, other seed fell among the thorns. That's your third type of soil. And the thorns grew up and they choked it out and it yielded no grain. Verse eight, the fourth kind. And the other seed fell into what? Good soil. And produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And we're gonna press pause. So the seed, remember I mentioned the sower is Jesus or anybody who's sharing the news of Jesus. It's gonna be the disciples real soon. So he's preparing them for this, right? Modeling all this for them. But the seed, 
The seed is the word of God. The seed is the truth of the kingdom. The seed is what Jesus came to do. And they need to know it, you know? So the soils, there's four different types. Well, verse nine, he then says that awesome little little phrase where he says, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear, okay? Then what happens is we have a scene change. Did you see that? That's where we're kind of going into this little interlude where we press pause on the story. Everything changes because in verse 10, it says, and when he was alone, those around him and and with the 12. So here's what you can know. We don't know exactly the timeline of when this happened. What we know is that Mark put it here on purpose, okay? This may have been later in the day. This may have been, who knows how long this was, but Mark puts this right after that first parable for a reason. This is what's considered, you know, I told you when we started Mark that there's lots of what they call hard sayings. There's some things in Mark that are like troubling and kind of confusing and we're gonna talk about them because we're not afraid, amen. This is one of them. This is one of those hard sayings of Mark. It's where he is basically saying what I told you before is that, that there's a reason behind what we're doing, guys. He's talking to the 12, he's talking to the hardcore followers, the dudes that are all in. And he's saying, there's a reason and we're gonna reveal the truth, but we're also gonna conceal it. And they had big question marks over their head like we do, right? So let's take a look, verse 10, he says this. This is later, remember? And when he was alone, those around him and the 12 asked him about the parables. Verse 11, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, underlying kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Verse 12, so that, and then he goes on here and he's quoting, you can jot this down, Isaiah 6, verses nine through 10. Okay, so he's quoting, um, he's quoting the book of the law, the Old Testament. Okay, so he's quoting Isaiah and he says this, they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. I'm thinking if I'm one of the guys in the room, I'm like, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? It makes no sense, right? Why not just be clear? Why do we have to veil this? Well, Jesus is trying to explain to them that that there's a reason in the revealing and a reason in the concealing. Aries talked about it just a little bit. You see, the secret, the secret of the kingdom of God is this great information that Jesus has come and he's come to bring new kingdom and be the long-awaited mighty Messiah, right? And so the word is, is little by little eking out to all these masses of people. That's the secret. A secret is that they need Jesus, right? They cannot possibly comprehend all these rules and possibly satisfy all the rules. There's never gonna be a chance that they're gonna make it happen. So Jesus has come to turn everything upside down. That's the secret of the kingdom of God. And so what he's telling them is, you guys know this. You you know this, but for this, these parables, it's gonna be redeeming for some like you guys. It's gonna be judgment for others. You see that Isaiah thing, that was a prophecy saying, here's what's about to happen. When the Savior comes, not everybody's gonna buy in. Not everybody's gonna, you remember all the crowds we were talking about, they're so massive. Do you think that every single one of those people perceived and believed? They didn't, they did not. And so these parables were intended to create an environment where, okay, if you're a believer and you're somebody that's following and you're someone who's really listening, you want more, amen? Did you want more when you were reading that? You're like, I need more detail. That was what I was saying. And that's the Holy Spirit working in us going, yeah, we want more. But remember the people in the room, the rest of the audience, they weren't all doing that, were they? Some of the guys with the clipboards, 
were looking for fuel to add to the fire because they wanted to kill him, they wanted to take him down. And so remember that there's a lot of things going on here. One, he didn't speak in very clear terms sometimes because you know what? That information could be what takes him right then to prison and then to death. And he knew his time. He knew how much time he needed. So there's reasons sometimes where he is veiling and concealing some of the truth. He's speaking to the people that are believing and following and seeking, and he's concealing from the ones who are coming after him and coming to get him. I think about how um, we all hear, sometimes we all hear the same thing. Like we're all in the same room for church one Sunday and we all hear the same sermon or, or man, even we all hear, you know, the same dogs barking or the same kids splashing in the pool, but we don't all perceive it and, and, and take it in the same way, do we? I mean, I don't know about you, but there have been so many times where I have sat in a room and, and, and I just didn't really listen but maybe his sister sitting next to me is like weeping and bawling. And in that moment, Jesus met her and eternity changed, you know, it happens. Or maybe when the dogs bark and you know, I'm thinking about how, how precious my dog is. They're so, so cute, by the way. And then other people are like, I actually hate your dogs and they bark and they're really loud and I'm trying to take a nap, right? Different perceptions. And so I think about this whenever I look at this, that all ears had the opportunity to hear what Jesus was saying, but they didn't all take it, amen? What did they do with it was the key. You know, they listened for their fuel instead of letting it sink in and transform their hearts. And so Jesus knew. So don't be confused about that. So he was telling, he was telling, I love this. He's telling the disciples, hey man, you guys need to know that this is true. This is how I'm going to teach. And so you're gonna perceive and understand and dig deeper. They are gonna wanna take me down. So now we move forward. He presses unpause, okay? Interlude over, now he goes into the explanation, which I would have loved if I were those guys. I love that we have it here. It starts in verse 13, he says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? And I answered back, "Uh, no, I do not. Thank you very much. How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Jesus is teaching, training, modeling, preparing them and us and us. Understanding this parable was foundational to all the other teachings and parables. You see, he's about to talk about all the people that we're gonna throw grain, we're gonna spread. He wants us to understand who they are and what they think and how their hearts work, okay? And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the four different hearts, the four different, the four different soils, if you will. So verse 15, he gives us the first one. And remember, he's just basically restating what he already said, but he's gonna explain it. Verse 15, he says this, and these are the ones along the path. Okay, so underline that. They're the well-worn path. That's the soil, the well-worn path. This is where the word is sown. And when they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes it away. Takes away the word that's sown in them. I, I, I saw this written. It's like a hardened heart. Okay, write that down. It's like a hardened heart. That's the heart here. You see, at the time, this path, this hand, hard-packed path would have been like what the farmers walked on, okay? Think about that. Like, have you ever encountered like a path that's like used all the time and it kind of gets hard-packed? It doesn't even matter if it rains or anything. It's still like kind of like clay, like hard clay. That's what this was. And so you can imagine the dude walking around just throwing seed. Well, if you throw seed and it lands on that hard pack, it's not gonna go down into the soil, is it? It's just gonna be on the top. Nothing's gonna happen, right? And that's where he talks about how birds are gonna come and take those seeds. And then he uses the illustration that Satan is gonna come and take and devour before there's any growth that even has an opportunity to happen. It's gospel deafness. 
It's indifference, it's dismissive without careful consideration. It's this, it's sitting in church and hearing the truth and then closing the book when the service ends and never thinking about it again. I think, I think this, what Jesus is trying to do here is he's explaining all these different hearts, these different soils, right? But I think we identify with all of them, if we're honest. You may know Jesus Christ. You may have accepted him and you may have the Holy Spirit living in you as saving faith. And I am so hopeful that everyone in this room and everyone watching online is that way, but, but you might not be. But even if you are, you probably have been this person or are this person at times. I know I am. I immediately recognize myself in every one of these. And so think about that for a minute. For me, this is how I looked at it. I thought about it like this. For me, it was like times when I avoid hard truth. Like I know that I'm convicted about something or that I'm challenged about taking a stand, but I'm, uh, I'm gonna choose to be open to the ways of the world instead of the ways of the Lord because it's easier. I think about that. I think about my heart gets hardened that way. It makes me open to other dangerous influences when my heart is hard toward Him. I don't know if you relate, but I know that people do. So I think of the seed and then it lands and then it just gets plucked away. The second kind of soil that Jesus warns them about that says, you're gonna be, you're gonna be throwing seed at these folks, guys. He says this in verse 16, he says, and these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground, underline rocky ground. You know what that means? It means rocky ground. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm glad, aren't you glad you came? Yeah, you're welcome. Um, rocky ground. So I would call that the shallow heart, okay? Shallow heart, rocky ground. Verse 16 continues. He says, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, okay? So the rocky ground folks, they receive it for just like a minute. And then verse 17, and they have no root themselves, but they endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they do what? Fall away. The rocky ground, the shallow heart. I think about this. I think about, um, this is really, this is me in my early days, you know, before I really truly was seeking after the Lord, but I, I identify with this. Here's how I think about it. I think about when you hear the word initially and you're so joyful. Um, I think about how maybe you even endure it for a little while. Maybe you're all on board. You're all bought in for just like a minute until the boat gets rocky, amen? And then you're like, I gotta find something else. This is not working for me. We've all been there, right? We've all got people like that. Some signs of, of maturity show up, some things quickly sprout, but no roots sustain the growth. And then it breaks away when things get real. I think for me, when I started thinking about the Chris version of this or how I see this, I call this camp syndrome. Anybody, you know what I wanna say? When you go to camp or you go to a retreat or you go to conference and you're like, yes, Jesus, I'll get all of me, more of you, all of me. And then you come home. <laughs> Emotion can create great intentions and a lot of times it can, really, it can really start something, you know? It can start a seed planted. It can start something sprouting. But the work of maturity is lacking because I don't feel good anymore, right? I crave what's comfortable or what's easy. It's like a cautionary tale. You know, it's a cautionary tale about prosperity gospel. Do you know what that means? Prosperity gospel are people that are out there telling you, you know what? And if anybody ever tells you this, you run, 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 run away from them. Hey, if you just accept Jesus, it's all gonna be like roses and unicorns and rainbows. It's so easy, so good. You'll you, you have lots of money, you'll have lots of friends, you'll have cute shoes, it's gonna be great. 
he never says that. Not even in the message. He never says that. No, man. The world comes and the world tries to strangle you and the world tries to, to drown out your root system, right? It happens. Part of it. The, the third soil is the thorns. The thorns. And I, I called this the distracted heart, okay? Distracted heart. And, and you'll see why in just a minute. Starts in verse 18, Jesus explains the one who, so, who is sown among the thorns. He says, there are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Choke the word. That's a tough little phrase, isn't it? And it proves unfruitful. Listen, the distracted heart, the, the one where the seed falls among the thorns, like we can all visualize this. I am not a gardener. I mean, seriously, like not, okay? But I can imagine, I can imagine what this looks like. I think about a garden where, you know, you throw out seed and then you let the weeds grow up and you just kind of let it go and then you just pretend like you don't see it anymore. That's what I think this is happening here. It's, it's kind of like you receive it, like the seed's received, and, and for a minute, there might be something going, but then the weeds come and they just clutter it all, right? They, they block the sun, they block um, all the nutrients, everything. It's a heart that's crowded and preoccupied with weeds. What does that mean? Think about this. I'm not gonna make eye contact, so it'd be weird. It's distractions of the world that overwhelm us and suck all of our attention. See if you identify with these, do not raise your hand. Distractions of the world like worry, like cravings, cravings for riches, status, things. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's a craving for control. Maybe it's judgment. I don't know. But those are the weeds that climb up and, 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 and they just take over, right? And then before you know it, you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was, I thought I was sprouting. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm choking, right? For me, I think about it when um, times in life when we are me-centered, when we are comfort-seeking, when we are now-focused, that like above all commitment and surrender, we're like, yeah, but, right? You been there? Yeah, but I don't wanna serve in that way. Like that's inconvenient. Yeah, but I don't really have what she has. So there, I can't, I can't be what, what I need to be. So I'm just gonna keep staying over here and hanging out in my, my jealousy and my cravings and, and my worry and all the things, right? Those are the weeds. And don't think for one minute, just because you have Jesus, that those weeds don't still sprout up, amen? They do. I think the enemy is active and alive, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy everything that moves you towards this flourishing good soil where there is growth that we're gonna read about. He's gonna do anything he can, and if it's weeds, he's gonna grow them up. Um, one of maybe the greatest theologians of all time, the Ava Brothers, my favorite band, they have a song, and one of the lyrics they sing, and I love this, it says, one foot in and one foot out, I don't pay to live like that. You cannot live that way, right? We, can't, we know we cannot sustain that. One foot in, I'm gonna be all the Jesus girl. One foot over here, I'm letting the world take me down. Do you relate to that? Well, you're throwing seed to other people and you need to understand that there are a lot of people who are living like this. Well, Jesus wraps up his explanation with the fourth soil, the one we all wanna be, right? The good soil. Verse 20 says, but those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, underline that, and accept 
Underline that. And they bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Listen, when you see the word here, remember we said, he said it a whole bunch of times. He's not just saying like you randomly, you know, hear like background music in the elevator. He's talking about active, not passive. Taking action. Do you hear this? Are you hearing this and letting it soak in and grow? He talks about accepting it. I mean, I think that's aggressively pursuing he talks about bearing fruit. Listen, um, that, that part is important for us to understand because, because of this. John 15, five says this, one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. You know what that means? Every single person who has the good soil at some point, you may not feel like your soil's too good right now, but trust me, if you've received Jesus, your soil's good, it's been good, you're fruitful. I saw this quote, I thought it was brilliant. Fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. A fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. You see, that's, that's impossible. Now, the thing that's important is that we have to understand like our fruit, sometimes when, when she's talking, he's talking about the fruit, he's talking about what comes after this beautiful, amazing seed, it plants and it grows and it does all the things, right? And it's got fruit and people wanna come take it and they wanna learn more, right? Fruit is what we're doing when we're trying to share the word of God. When Jesus is spreading the seed across the world, it's like fruit. But you know what? Sometimes you don't get to see it, right? Right? Sometimes you feel like all you do is, is throw seed. Amen, anybody? And there's just no return. Well, I wanna assure you that God's word says that if you are a believer and you remain in Him, there is much fruit. You just don't wanna get to see it. I think about, um, for me, like uh, I think back to my faith journey. You know, I think about um, the person that brought me to Jesus Christ. I wonder if the person that introduced him to Jesus Christ has any idea of the fruit that continues for generations to come because of that. The word that he shared with my young life leader, my Don Brown young life leader, I talk about him all the time. Did this person know? I'm gonna guess not. I'm gonna guess he doesn't know about Chris Murphy standing up, getting to talk about Jesus. I'm gonna guess he probably doesn't know, but that's the beauty of God's kingdom, right? This is quantum, man, it just goes. And we don't always get to see it. And sometimes I think the enemy tries to tell us, you are, you are not living a fruitful life, but that's a lie. Don't believe that. For me, it's like this. It's like, you're gonna have a what if faith. You're gonna, I mean, you're not gonna have a what if kind of faith. You're not gonna have the faith that's like, well, I'm only gonna be fruitful if. Instead, you're gonna have an even if and even when and even though faith. We talk about that a lot around here. That stuff is gonna come, hard times are gonna come, but we're still gonna, we're still gonna stay in the boat, amen? Jesus knew that the kingdom of God would be misunderstood and it would fall on deaf ears. He knew this. And then he was reading, I mean, he was readying all his guys. He was readying us for the ministry of being the seed spreaders. Mark, Mark gives us three different parables that reinforce this one. And we're gonna, we're gonna finish with those parables. Listen, we're gonna move fast in the last few. We're gonna look at the lights and the seeds. You remember those came afterward. After he explained all this to the, to the disciples, then he goes on into these other parables. He's gonna lay out how God's kingdom emerges and grows. Did you see the connection? Did you see in the beginning, we're looking at the beginning of how, like the receiving of it, right? The receiving of Jesus as the message, as the seed, as the word. And now we get to see, okay, now what happens, okay? So the first thing we look at is the light, verses 21 through 25, it goes like this. And he said to them, is a lamp brought out, in, uh, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, not on a stand? 
for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. There it is again. Then if he said to them, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has more will be given and for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a lot going on there and I'm gonna try to give you a 30,000 foot view, okay? He's talking to the disciples. He's talking specifically in the message. It says, verse 23, it, he says that it says it like this. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. Hey guys, you need to really just like, like focus key in right here because see a couple of things they would understand a lamp in those days would be like a clay dish filled with oil. Okay. With like a wick or whatever. So you know what happens whenever it's burning, the oil goes away, right? So you have to refill it. Well, what he's trying to illustrate to them is that, you know, the, obviously the lamp has to be out in the darkness to light up the darkness. Amen. Can't be under like the bed, but also it has to be filled up. And I think about the disciples. I'm like, they have to be filled up to be lit, man. They have to be able to be lit before they can go out and be a light. They're being called to shed God's light and reveal truth. And see, they don't even fully get it yet. We do, because we're on the other side of the story. But what they don't know is they're about to be it. They're about to be the ones. He had to take and fill up before they could give out. He's inspiring them to press on. If you wanna jot these down, I want you to remember when you see the word lamp, when you see the word light, always, always know who we're talking about. And it is a who. In John 12, 46, Jesus is called the light into the world. John 1, 4, he's called the light of men. John 1, 9, he's called the true light. John 8, 12, he's called the light of the world. You see, these disciples are being readied to share the light. So he tells them about being a light and then he moves down in verses 26 to 29 and talks about the growing of the kingdom. We already know about the soil. We know about the guys spreading the seed. We know that some of those seeds are taking. A lot of them are probably right there listening, right? And so then he moves into what they need to understand about the growing of the kingdom. Verse 26 says this, and he said, the kingdom of God, underline that, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and he sleeps and he rises night and day and all the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how, amen, anybody? No, not how. Again, I'm not a gardener. This is terrible for me to read, but I do understand that I don't know, okay? Verse 28 says, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. Verse 29, but when the grain is ripe, at, the, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. Listen, this is Mark's only unique parable. Jot that down. Only time you see this parable is in Mark. Why? Why do you think? I, I think, remember what Mark is, is, is giving us Peter's perspective. And so I think Peter's like, yeah, 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 add that because they need to know this. <laughs> There's a mystery to the growth, Amen. There's a mystery to the growth of the kingdom of God. We don't know. We can't predict. We can't control it. We don't define the harvest. I mentioned before my friend who shared Jesus with me by being silly and bringing donuts to my school and, 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 and doing skits and stuff. Like that's how I met Jesus, y'all. But somewhere along the way, somebody introduced Jesus to him. And then he introduced Jesus to me. 
And then I met another kid at Young Life Camp who knew Jesus too. And then we had kids and we introduced Jesus to our kids. And now our kids, you know what they're doing? They're, they're sharing Jesus with other kids. It's just like, it, it's not about us. It's about what God is doing in the growth, in, in, in the, the seed sprouting and the growing. And we know not how, amen. And so it's beautiful. Like he's telling him, trust me on this, guys. Plant some seeds and let me do my thing. I love that. I love that we get invited into it sometimes. Sometimes we get to see the fruit, don't we? Sometimes we do not. I challenged you last week to reach out to those folks who, who have told you about Jesus or shared Jesus with you or you know invited you to their home and you said, ah, there's something different here. I want this. I don't know who those people are. If you didn't do it, I challenge you to do it because that is cool. That's getting to see fruit, you know? Well, he wants us to let his word loose and watch it grow, doesn't he? The last thing that he gives us, the last parable that he gives us here in Mark 4 is he talks about the mustard seed, doesn't he? That cute little precious baby mustard seed. Verse 30, he starts like this. And he said, he starts with two rhetorical questions. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, underlying kingdom of God? Do you see? Do you see a recurring pattern here, gang? Over and over, right? He's talking to us now about the kingdom. Or what parable shall we use for it? Verse 31, he goes into it. It's like a grain of the mustard seed. The seed is the key here, okay? They would have understood that the mustard seed was the tiniest, smallest seed there is, okay? They would have known this. Which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its shade. Do you love that? Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke to them, the word to them as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So what we know now is this is Jesus talking all in these parables, okay? And he's telling the disciples what they need to understand. What he tells them here is the seed is key. It's the smallest, it's gonna grow into the tallest. Birds, when we talk about the birds here, you know, I mentioned before, don't get hung up on little things, but I will tell you, I got hung up on this little thing. Um, There's several interpretations of what those birds um, represent or what they mean. Um, Note that the tree there is, has become the shade, right? Like this tiny baby seed has all become, all of a sudden become this, this purposeful thing. There's lots of different opinions. Could that be that it's referring back again to the evil one, to Satan, that he's perching in, in, in the tree of faith of people that are growing in their faith? Maybe, I don't know. I think about Judas, you know, I think about him, like he was right there in the middle of it, what was happening in his heart, I don't know. Sometimes you can read that it, that it might be an illustration for the shelter of the kingdom, that's kind of beautiful. It could also mean that it's the nations that come up under the kingdom of God. Um, There's not significant reason to understand what that meant. All we know is it went from smallest to tallest. And we have no idea how or why. Amen. Small beginnings. Think about this. Jesus begins with 12. Just 12 little dudes that smell like fish, you know. They're just weirdos. 12. And then it moves on into 500, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. We know that, that the church is growing. And remember, the crowds are massive, but they're not all believers. We have to keep telling ourselves that. He's telling his guys that. Not everybody following us is doing it for the right reasons, amen? And so then it moves into 500. Then in Acts 2, it moves into 3,000. 
and footnote, our little Peter guy has, has quite a role in that. He gets to be the guy who stands up at the microphone. Very, very cool, very neat story. And then it's steadily increasing. In spite of all the bad soil, the open opposition, the enemy's efforts, all the seeds that, that don't make it to the ground, because see, some do, and we can't explain how or why, right? And so what we do is keep grabbing handfuls and we keep going, don't we? Don't stop. We know this. We know, we have the luxury of knowing the listeners at the time did not know. We know how the story ends, don't we? In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, I love this verse because it's like everything Jesus is telling them and getting them ready for, we get to hear. He says this, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the lamb, seeds planted, seeds grown, fruit that we didn't even know about is coming. He wants us to know that. Listen, in closing, I I want you to think about this. I hope that you will think about this. Are you gonna press in or are you gonna turn away? You know, are are you gonna have ears to hear? Are you gonna do what, what Jesus is calling the disciples to do and spread seed, man? How about this? Are you gonna look and go, man, what's the state of my heart? Like, where am I right now? What kind of soil am I? You know, am I hardened? Am I shallow? Am I distracted? Am I fruitful? I think we all can can relate to all of them, right? We need roots. You know, when I was going through this, I was like, oh, you know, I immediately thought of this because I went to school in West Texas. Get your guns up. And I remember tumbleweeds. Anybody ever seen them live and in person? Freakiest thing on the planet. Yes. Think about tumbleweeds for a minute. I started looking them up and I'm like, what's the deal with tumbleweeds? Like, why are they doing that? Well, I'll tell you why they do that is they break away from the root. They, they have a root that is developed. It's like one single root. It's not super heavy and strong or whatever, but it's actually a plant and it breaks. And then when it breaks, it starts going, right? And it collects friends along the way, right? And they're all just tumbling aimlessly and it's awful. I don't think we want to be that, you know? I, I, I also started thinking like, okay, in my, you know, because I told you I'm a big time gardener. I do not garden. I know nothing about plants but I do know Google. And I looked up, you know, I started thinking, I'm like tumbleweeds, they're tumbling, they're moving, they're doing thing. But you know what I thought of? I thought of those Sequoia Redwoods, those big, massive, awesome, cool. Aren't they so cool? If you've ever been there, it's just unbelievable how massive they are. And I'm like, oh, this will be such a great illustration because their root system has to be super deep and wide. And oh, that'll be great. And I looked it up and actually not true at all. Their root system is not really deep. <laughs> it's, it was weird. I was like, this is not gonna play. This is not gonna work. But you know what, I did a little more reading and you know why those sequoia redwoods, you know why they stand so tall and they live so long? Because their roots are intertwined with the roots of the trees around them and they hold each other up. You see where I'm going with this, right? Sometimes our roots don't go real deep, but you know what? We got other sequoias all around us, amen. They're sitting in this room with you right now that sometimes we gotta hold each other up. And I think like, how, how are we growing? Uh, we don't always have to be super deep. You don't have to have this beautiful, amazing faith legacy. You know what you can do? You can just say, hey God, I, I am just here and I am here for it and don't break me off. I don't wanna be a tumbleweed in West Texas, please. But maybe give me some other roots to intertwine with. 
You know, maybe go look at Psalm 1, verse 3, where it says that the tree is planted near the stream and it never withers and it always yields fruit, amen. So maybe plant yourself in a place that you are near the source. That's what I would say. That's what I think about when I think about all this gardening stuff. Don't be tumbleweed. It's a t-shirt. We should do that. That would be a good t-shirt. Listen, we're gonna close up. I want you to think about this. Two things I want you to take action this week. We're trying really hard, right? We're trying to take God's word and not just answer questions, but take it out into our lives. And next week, you're gonna look at Mark 4, 35 through the whole chapter of five, and it's gonna be so cool. You're gonna look at miracle stories. I love that, right? You're gonna look at some of the best, coolest little highlights, the highlight reel of Jesus, and I know that you're gonna love it. But as you walk through that, I want you to know, you're gonna see some things that you're familiar with. You're gonna see some stories that you've heard and you know or retold in the gospels, and you may know them, but I want you to keep watch. And what I mean by that is, I want you to pay special attention to any instances that you see characteristics of God displayed through the actions of Jesus. Watch for God. He shows up, he's all over the place. Watch for the things that Jesus does, the why behind what he does, the way he acts and reacts. We need to watch for that and go, you know what, that's, that's who God is. And then I want you to ask God to draw your attention to ways that he's showing you those same traits in your life because he is. You know, he's not just here, he's here, amen? And so do that. Look for the ways that you see God's character traits and then ask him to show those to you when you're in line at Target or, you know, whatever, when you're, don't just close the book. Second thing I want you to do is highlight. Um, When you read through this section, I want you to highlight anything you find surprising, confusing, or thought-provoking. If you're like me, you'll be highlighting a lot of things. But, But do that. Like, look at some of the things that are unfamiliar. Look at some of the things that you're like, wait, what, what, what is that? What just happened? Underline those, highlight those. And then maybe put yourself in the shoes of the original hearers. I like to do that. Sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm reading it now as Chris in 2022. And I know all some things that I've heard, you know, and taught and preached. And I want to read it like the guy standing there watching going, what in the world is actually happening? So maybe read it like that. Look for that. Look for that. Will you press on? Will you keep throwing seed? If you haven't been the good soil, if you don't have a seed in you that, that's growing and, and that you don't feel like you have the Holy Spirit, will you come talk to one of us? Because we'll tell you all kinds of stuff. I'll throw seed all, all over you. I will. But just remember, be encouraged, you know? He's so intentional about going after us, every one of us. I hope that you will receive that. I hope you will let that grow in His way, in His time. You pray with me. Father, um, we thank you for the detail. We, we love the beautiful illustration of all of us. Um, sometimes we don't get it and we thank you that you understand that. In fact, you tell us that we're not always gonna get it. And so that's, that's so awesome. I love that you see our need and our worry and our concern and you address it. Thank you. We thank you for these disciples, this ragtag group of guys that, that were the small mustard seed that ended up being um, the tallest tree with the greatest shade. And Lord, we pray in this place that the word continues, that we continue to to throw seed and it continues to be a thing that people learn and understand and know and that eternity changes because of those in this room that hear this message today. Father, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to leave us this, this word. And it's in your precious son that we pray.